Welcome, everyone, to part three of our 2018 Year in Review podcast series here on the Some Like It's Scott podcast, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. This time, we're talking about comic book movies. I'm your host, Scott Shelton. With me today, not Scott Harvey, but Jay Habib. Jay, how are you doing? Hey, Scott. It's good to be back. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Excited to talk about comic book movies today. I know that you know you and I were talking about before we started recording this about you know, trying to guess how you were trying to guess how many movies it had in it, and we ended up having more than you had thought. Mm-hmm. And then we started looking at comic book movies coming out next year, and we're like, oh god, there's even more. Um, but we're gonna talk about all that mainly looking at last year. We'll have a brief segment at the end where we talk about next year, but we're gonna start for this part one with Marvel. And there's six Marvel movies that came out this year, Jay. Three of them, of course, are in the MCU, which are gonna be the ones that maybe the people immediately come to mind when you say Marvel movie this year, but there are also other Marvel movies one of which we already have mentioned, which is Into the Spider-Verse, which is technically not part of the MCU. Um, and then there's Venom and Deadpool 2 as well, but we'll talk about those a little bit later, as well as Aquaman and Incredibles 2. And to start off with, we're going to go in the chronological order for 2018 of the MCU movies. So that means we're starting first with Black Panther. Jay, we did a spoiler cast about Black Panther way back in middle of February, almost what, more than 11 months ago at this point. And I remember we waxed lyrical about that movie. We maybe had a few concerns about it, but we're overall really positive. Has that changed at all since then? You know, not significantly. I think that I mean, I've rewatched it maybe three times since we did that spoiler cast. And I mean, overall, still a very enjoyable movie. You know, powerful messages despite, you know, some, again, like things we had to kind of dispute or kind of air out. I don't know if you feel similarly, but. Uh, just to throw that out there, this was the probably number two movie for me uh, of the eight that we're talking about. Um, Spider-Verse, I think, does edge it out, but I still had a really good time watching Black Panther, and I still enjoy rewatching it. Yeah, Black Panther, I'm not, I, I definitely watched it a, a second and a third time in theaters. I think it was the only movie I saw three times in theaters last year. And I, I, remember, it re- I remember it really well, first off, because I was just captivated by the world of Wakanda you know, maybe I think plenty of people have said that maybe Chadwick Bosman, uh, Black Panther, is maybe the weakest part of the movie. I, I've read that in a lot of places, and I think now, you know, almost a year removed from that film coming out, that I think the growing consensus is that maybe he is the weakest part of the movie. I think that's debatable. I don't really want to go there. But the thing that captivated most was the world building in that movie. What you get with Wakanda, what you get with all the the characters that come to life. In Wakanda, you know, whether that's Lupita Nyong'o's character, Denai Guerrero, Angela Bassett, all those characters, including Chadwick Boseman. But for me, the one that captivated me the most was Eric Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan, one of my favorite actors in Hollywood. We're not going to talk about his other big movie that came out last year today in, in Creed 2, but he, I picked him, Jay, I don't know if you listened to this pod, like the very first episode of Some Like It's Got, I said he was the most underrated actor in Hollywood. I don't know if I could say that he's the most underrated actor in Hollywood anymore. He had a great year, and people really really liked this character and his performance as this character in fact i was recently reading an article that talked about how he uh had to go like essentially go through therapy after he he finished this role because of how much it took out of him the kind of the the mental headspace he was in once he finished filming the movie because 
it completely, you know, the character he plays is captivating, but, you know, it's not a good character in terms of the morality of the character. You can understand where he's coming from, maybe, but he ultimately does a lot of bad things, and that clearly put Michael B. Jordan in a really tough place after this movie. And I think that just speaks about how good of a performance it was, how engrossing of a character it was in the movie. And that's what maybe, if I had to point to one thing in that movie, that's what I would point to. Yeah, I actually hadn't heard about um, the therapy he went to after. And I mean, it makes you know sense. We certainly, I, I can kind of understand how that uh, might be something he'd have to do after. And honestly, you know, obviously wishing him well, but I... I'm so, you know, thankful for that performance he put on. And that's not something I find myself thinking, like, often. Like, you know, thank you for, like, allowing me to experience this. But I really feel that way. He was, you know, the most captivating part of that movie by far. And, you know, again, easily in my top two Marvel villains, quote-unquote. You know, with uh, Loki kind of walking that weird line of maybe being a villain, maybe not, uh, depending on your point of view. Um, you know, if we don't give it to him, it's definitely going to kill Monger, so... Yeah, no, I, I agree. Killmonger, great villain, uh, great movie. Anything else you want to talk about Black Panther? I, I like you. <clears throat> Whoa, voice crack. Um, I, like you, am, am a huge fan of Black Panther. My number two for the year as well. But, yeah, I, I guess, it, is there anything else that sticks out to you from this movie? Or do you want to just move on to the next one? I just can't wait to see the next one, you know, and continue to kind of build on the world. I think one of my... Uh, complaints back when we did the spoiler cast was i almost wish we had seen more you know when you uh they end up doing that final fight in the tunnel and i'm almost uh you know you're left to just you kind of just see tunnels and like deep blue underground but not really sure what's going on and haven't really seen a city or anything you know i'm, I'm just kind of excited to see if we can get more of wakanda in uh you know now that we've pretty successfully established uh it as its own place yeah, I mean, I mean, right now we're left thinking, is anyone left in Wakanda after the snap? But uh, speaking of the snap, why don't we just go ahead and move right on to in- in- Avengers Infinity War. I think that this movie was something, you know, literally 10 years in the making. It took a decade to build up to this movie. Did it deliver? Uh, a decade and 18 movies, and yeah, I, I think it did. You know, the, the I've talked to a lot of people about uh, the movies we're doing on the podcast this week, just to, you know, kind of like get some thoughts and kind of get back into some, you know, old headspaces to see what people thought and what I might agree with and disagree with. And so many people have told me they had a hard time taking this movie seriously because of like, you know, knowing what we know about uh, the future of the MCU. But I don't think that necessarily holds true. You know, I think it, it, you know, delivered, it was powerful, it was enjoyable. And, you know, if you didn't cry at the end, like, do you have a heart? (laughs) Yeah, no, nothing takes it out of you like Tom Holland to Spider-Man and be like, Tony, I don't feel so good. Um, you know, I, I will say, though, to, to those people's credit who, who talk about not being able to take that movie too seriously, I think the first time I watched it, I did take it seriously. Like, I remember the opening scene where you have, I mean, you get Heimdall and Loki who are both killed in, in the opening 10 minutes of the movie, whatever. Uh, I don't know how long the opening scene is, but... From there, it really takes off. It sets it sets a really dark, grim tone, and it makes you feel like the things in the movie do matter. And then, you know, by the end of it, you know, half little, you know, half the people in the universe are are, are now gone, and you have like it feels like more than half of of the, you know, MCU figures are gone as well. So maybe they got a little unlucky when the with the with the coin flips. Um, I, I think though that I I agree on on a rewatch, it feels a little bit. It feels like I can't take it quite as seriously as I did the first time because I know that, like, all right, so many people have died 
it cannot possibly be. I mean, especially because we know, like, we know Spider-Man isn't isn't going to be dead at the end of Endgame. We know that Black Panther is not going to be dead at the end of Endgame. We hope to God that Shuri isn't going to be dead at the end of Endgame. Um, I mean, it's all thing. It's all one of those things where you know, it, you know, I I gave it the benefit of the doubt the first time I watched it, and I was with it, right? You know, over the course of that movie. So sorry, sorry for spoilers for people who haven't seen Infinity War. Also, how did you not see Infinity War? This movie made like over two billion dollars or whatever it was. But you know, you have. Heimdall, Loki, then you have Gamora, and then I don't know if I'm forgetting people up into the snap, but you know these are who just Vision. Sorry, Vision. Uh, Vision died. Well, that, that's like at the snap. I'm talking about like all the way up until the snap. Sure. Um, but yeah, so like vi- you know, Vision dies, and then you have the snap, and and it just makes you wonder. And this is the thing that I mean, I wondered at the time, and then on a rewatch, like, all right, because so many people died in the snap, how many of them? Like, what is fair game to bring people back? Is it literally just people who died in the snap? Is it, like, anyone who died in the movie? And the fact that I can't answer that question makes me think that I I can't really take Infinity War seriously until I've seen Endgame. I think once I see Endgame, then I'll be able to go back and rewatch Infinity War, and I'll, like, I'll, cause, because I'll know the outcome, I, I can know what's serious and what's just a little bit there for show, right? But I, I don't know if you feel differently, but I do understand where people are coming from when they say they, they can't take it too seriously. Yeah, I think I... I mean, I get where people are coming from. I guess that just... I don't know. I mean, if... You know, knowing how a movie's going to end, or I don't know, like, if you think of, you know, some, like, rom-com that you're watching, and halfway through there's a fabricated, like, you know, plot problem, where, you know, like, the, the two main characters who are obviously supposed to be together are fighting, and they break up, and, you know, people who, like, cry during that, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you, you cry during that, it's, it doesn't mean, you know, you don't know at the end, or if you're rewatching, you don't know that, you know, they're gonna end up together, it can still be impactful, and I, I definitely think, you know, Thanos is still, like, terrifying. And we were watching this movie last night, Scott, just for fun. And, like, I was still like, oh, my God. I mean, you know, he's not as scary as Thanos in the trailers, but he's still a pretty scary villain. You know, Thanos is one of the ones where I I agree that he's a a very menacing villain, right? I mean, he's probably the most menacing of the villains. I mean, I don't know. There's the guy from Guardians who I can't remember his name. Ego Um, or Ronan? Ronan. He's probably... He's he's maybe a little bit more menacing than Thanos I've even found. Thanos is more, like... Icy cold and Ronan's kind of that like awful, awfully scary and not quite realistic, um, what hyper religious kind of guy. Anyway, that, that, that's neither here nor there. But I think that one of the things for me is that I had a hard time taking not Thanos seriously, but I had a hard time believing the arc that the movie tried to take me on with like him really caring about Gamora and like throwing her off the cliff. And that's a real sacrifice he's making. I know, like the movie tells you that's a sacrifice he's making because he, he gets the stone at the end of that sequence. But to me, I didn't necessarily believe it. I think that, sure, may- maybe it's relatively a sacrifice for him, but I don't think this guy cares about anything except accomplishing his goal in this movie. And and that's not necessarily a knock, and it's not a huge complaint that I have, but it is kind of how I felt about it. And I do think that, you know, Thanos is a good villain, and I'm, I'm really curious what role he's really going to play in Endgame. Because based on the trailers, you get, like, one shot of him in the trailer, in the trailer, in the, at least the first trailer that we've had so far, and that's him like touching the flowers in the field um, on his home planet. But we'll we'll see what comes of that next. I'm I'm intrigued to see what direction they take with that and how it's going to tr- play out. Because I was telling you this last night, but apparently, according to Kevin Feige, they're only showing the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie in the trailers that they're cutting for it. So, granted, we've only seen one trailer so far. There might be another one around the Super Bowl, just kind of like last year. Uh, we'll see what footage. But uh, they use in that, but apparently only the first 15, 20 minutes being shown. So. 
Yeah, and I mean, we could, you know, easily take the next hour and a half to just speculate on what we think the movie's going to be like and what roles who will play where. Um, so let's not do that. Yeah, no, for, <laughs> I'm, just, for I'm, sure. I'm, I'm bottling myself for up sure. by saying that. Yeah, but, and, um, and, and, you know, going back to something that you said just a bit earlier about how, you know, maybe he's not as... Uh, menacing, or he, I'm not quite sure exactly what word to use, but he's not as, maybe as good as in the, he was in the trailers. And I remember last night when we were watching the movie, we were both, or at least I was commenting repeatedly, every single time a line came up in the movie that he spoke that was in the trailer, I was like, it's not as good as it was in the trailer. No, I feel the same way. And, and that's not to say that his character isn't as good, it's just the particular lines that they they cut out for the trailer were delivered a little bit differently or in a different, because it was in a different context, it made it more powerful. Because I feel like half the lines that they used in the trailer were all from like that opening scene with thor and and loki before they die and like that it just feels like a letdown almost when he says it in those scenes he's like it i maybe i just misremember the trailer right maybe we should just pull up the trailer no, right no, no, now i'm and, with you yeah I, i'm with you they were they they just sound they kind of fall flat relative to the trailer yep uh but that's that's overly complaining because most of this like two-thirds of this movie is really good yeah agreed all right um, oh no go ahead oh, i said just you know i was just i guess gonna wrap up with you know at the end of the day, it's still really enjoyable. I really enjoyed watching Thor interact with the Guardians and Doctor Strange and Tony's banter while Spider-Man kind of, you know, throws himself into that mix. And even Star-Lord, you know, kind of talking back and forth with Tony and the other Guardians. Like, it's just, it was fun to just kind of watch the universe come together in a way that, you know, we haven't really had that uh, up until this point. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that was. I mean that was how you they advertised the movie. It was the selling point for going to see this movie. It's an. It's an. It's an epic movie, not necessarily in its story arc, but what it does by bringing these. What is it? Twenty plus people together that we've watched movies about for a decade. Now it's pretty incredible, and and you know I trust Anthony and Joe Russo to bring it all home in Endgame, and we'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward. Where where we're left after after Endgame? Of course, we have another movie before that. We have Captain Marvel, which we'll speculate on maybe a, a little bit. Bre- briefly later at the end of the show but yeah it's, it's crazy to think that it's not the next movie coming out almost uh it feels like it, it feels like it, we've been waiting a long time for all of it but there there you have it all right third and final movie from this year from the mcu ant-man and the wasp uh to me my least favorite of these three that's not to say it's a bad movie but it's an ant-man movie its numbers reflected that it was an ant-man movie i like evangeline lily a lot i like paul rudd a lot i even like them a lot in their characters but there's just something about this movie that doesn't feel it's not even that it's not as serious, because, I mean, it isn't as serious of a movie, right? But there's something about these characters in this movie that's just like, oh, this is one of those things that they put out as their third movie of the year because they want to put out a third movie and make $600 million more. And it's it's an entertaining movie. It's a good time. But I don't think I've even thought about this movie after I walked out of the theater and after we reviewed it for the Some Like It's Got podcast. And I'm certainly not even thinking about rewatching it for the foreseeable future. And again, I don't mean that to slander the movie, but it's just a reality that this movie hasn't stuck with me nearly as much as Black Panther or Infinity War. Sure, and I mean, I'll take a point out of uh, your notes from earlier today, which was, you know, this movie had the unfortunate uh, reality of, you know, following Infinity War. And, you know, I'll say, at least for me, you know, the the scene that sticks out to me most is the post-credit scene, which is probably not a good thing when you know thinking about how much you enjoy a movie like oh i enjoy the thing that came after that teased what's coming next but at the end of the day like you know i enjoyed the credits yeah but again it followed infinity war it had a tough job but you know totally hear you on that you know it's an enjoyable movie i love lily i love rudd and i like them in this movie i like their characters um yeah i love the wasp yeah evangeline lily's great like i remember watching her in lost when i was like i don't know high school middle school i don't even know what it was but 
loved her then, and she took a sabbatical from acting for a little bit after that, uh, for you know one reason or another. And she came back in this, and and she's done other things too, I think, as well since she came back. But I just love her as I love her and Rudd's weird chemistry in these in these movies. And see, now that I'm talking about it, I actually really like this movie a lot, and I and I know that I like it, but it just like it, it's not it doesn't leave an impression on me at all. And I'm not quite, and I don't even quite know why, but. I like the characters. I like how they interact with each other. It's just maybe a little like everything. Like Michael Pena, we haven't even talked about. I haven't mentioned him yet. He's hilarious in these movies. Uh, but you know, maybe everything else is just kind of falls flat. Maybe. Why don't you take a sip of your drink, Scott, and then tell me what you think of the science in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I was saving that. I was trying not to to dwell too much on this. Our listeners will know that I'm not a fan of the. <laughs> Uh, liberal takes they have on the science involved with quantum theory and shrinking. It, like, it's honestly, I, I should have, like, if I'm going to actually legitimately complain about this, I should have maybe done a little bit more research before I hop back on here on the podcast because I've probably tried to repress the memories of me complaining about this and, and also on, you know, past podcasts where we've talked about this movie. But, you know, it's very hand wavy. My One of my biggest concerns about Endgame is that, it like, the science of quantum theory that they're using to like shrink and change in form is also going to apply to sort of like time travel and i'm really concerned because of that that in game might unfortunately rely on something that paul like that paul rudd's character and like quantum in the quantum realm a little bit too much slash at all and i'm, I'm actually like a little bit concerned about that for in game and because i'm gonna be really mad <laughs> if I mean, they rely on it okay you know we'll trust the russos and you know hope that it's not something super hand wavy and Super, you know, OP, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's not Peyton. It's not like Peyton. It's not like the Russo brothers were directing Ant-Man and the Wasp, to be fair. That was Peyton Reed. I believe it was... Wait, did he direct the first one, too? I think he did. Uh, maybe not, but... No, he did. He, he directed the first Ant-Man as well. He also did the movie Yes Man, so he's just very on the movies with man in their name, <laughs> I think. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I think that, you know, the Russo brothers and, and Kevin Feige, I think, pretty much have, like, some sort of producerial... Uh, role in all this to make sure like everything is pretty cohesive at this point i mean obviously kevin feige does i would assume the russo brothers you know being kind of the tentpole directors of this franchise now that whedon has left is kind of that as well but i could be wrong i'm not sure but the science my by far my least favorite part of this movie i think the fact that the plot of ant-man and the wasp hinged around that science was really frustrating and to me and ultimately why i liked Ant-Man and the Wasp a little bit less than I liked the original Ant-Man, which still kind of holds a special place. Again, even though I don't think about it very much, but when it does come up, I'm like, oh, Ant-Man, I really I really enjoyed that movie. I enjoyed it when we went back and watched it when we were doing like the pre-Infinity War series earlier last year, and I think that Ant-Man and the Wasp is not going to hold up quite as well. I mean, it could... This sounds worse than it is, but like, this is pro- like Ant-Man and the Wasp is probably like bottom five MCU movies for me, which speaks to the overall average quality of mcu movies i'd say and less about ant-man and the wasp being a bad movie but it ultimately it is frustrating at times though i do like a lot of the characters and and their chemistry between each other did you want to say anything about the science no i just kind of wanted to you know unwind you or like wind you up and let you loose um and you didn't disappoint scott that's good um i will say you know your your namesake is a fun character to watch on screen and you know, again, like, I, I rewatched this movie, like, on a plane uh, a couple weeks ago, and, you know, I, I had a decent time. It might, you know, fall in my, you know, lower handful of MCU movies, which, again, does, you know, kind of speak to the quality of the universe. But ultimately, you know, like, I, like I'm like i still at a point where more Marvel is usually good. 
No, so. I think that's definitely true. It's not at the point where a lot of people talk about the Star Wars franchise and why maybe Solo didn't do as well this year because of like some sort of like exhaustion and kind of saturation of the Star Wars market. But you don't see that at all with MCU movies, right? Like, of course, you're not always getting the exact same characters in every movie, which is kind of one of the complaints. I mean... I mean, one of the complaints about Star Wars is that it's supposed to be this massive universe, right? But it's the only ever the same characters interacting with each other. And, and so Solo is another example of that where, okay, here's Han Solo, here's Lando Calrissian. Like, I know, Jay, this means absolutely nothing to you because you haven't seen any of the Star Wars movies, which is fine because we're going to fix that later this year. Wow, way to out me but, like that to yeah, our no, viewers. Yeah, no, I just outed you. Everyone's going to be in the comments at you now. Um, <laughs> but no, it's tactical at this point, though, because we're trying to set up a similar podcast for Star Wars Episode Nine later this year. Spoiler alert! <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm hyping it up for our listeners what to expect in 2019. But no, that, so that being said, like, it's weird because there's this sort of exhaustion after Episode Eight last, well, end of 2017, now two years ago. With, you know, Solo coming out five months later. But we literally get this, like, later this year. We're going to get Captain Marvel on March 9th, or March 8th, or whatever the date is. And then we're going to get Endgame a month and a half later. And we're going to have Shazam in the middle of that, which I understand is not an MCU movie, but another superhero movie. And no one is saying that the superhero movie market is oversaturated. I mean, these movies still make over half a billion each, almost. Like, clearly, whoever is saying that the market is saturated is wrong. (laughs) <laughs> because people keep going and seeing and paying money for these movies. I mean, Glass, which just came out this past weekend, is supposed to make almost $75 million on over Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. And, like, yes, that's a non-traditional superhero movie. That's a different take. That might get people out in the theaters. It's like, oh, this is a little bit different. This is, like, real-life su- superheroes, right? And to me, that's just, like, you can do anything with this genre. People are going to go, like, if, I mean, depending on its Rotten Tomato score, maybe, like, people are going to go watch these movies. And whether that's because of the properties or whatever it is, uh, I don't know. But, like, it's not true for Star Wars. It's not true for the things. And, you know, you're getting three MCU movies a year. And so, circling back around to your point, like, yeah, I'm always game for more. Because they do them well, right? Like, do I think that Marvel can go out and release, like, or the MCU can go out and release four or five movies a year? I mean, like, I'd probably say no. But then again, there were eight, there were six Marvel movies this year. You know, in the wider, non-MCU span of things. Which is just, like, that's a lot. And they, I mean... Into the Spider-Verse is probably the lowest grossing of those movies, which is crazy, but it's probably at like 150, 200 million. And the reason that that's not grossing as much is because it's animated, right? Like if that's a live action movie, I mean, that movie's probably making over half a billion at least. So, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's, it's almost weird to think that like there's not some sort of saturation point. And obviously there would be. If you make, you make enough movies, it's gonna, there is going to be some sort of exhaustion, but not for the MCU. Did you hear that, uh, Marvel? You need to bring back Tobey Maguire and cast him as an older Peter Parker in a live-action adaptation of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Is, is that what I'm hearing, Scott? Yeah, where Mary Jane has divorced him and he's like... Spoiler beer, alert! <laughs> beer belly and... Well, he's older Washed now. up. He's not old, certainly, but, you know, he's, like, older now. So playing an old Peter Parker would be, like, a nice callback, don't you think? Yeah. that's a, it's, a weird, it's weird to think of that movie being shot in live-action. Yeah, I'm not sure it works as well, but, you know, just an idea. Well, uh, you know, maybe our ideas, ideas will be good enough one day where Disney will hire us. We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right, so, Jay, that was the MCU. Three movies this year, three movies next year, which we'll also talk about a little bit later. But there were other, other Marvel movies as well, which I kind of alluded to and even explicitly mentioned earlier in the podcast. The first of those kind of in, in order of when they released during the year was Deadpool 2 coming out insanely to me i still don't know why they released them so close together two weeks or three weeks after 
uh, maybe it was just two weeks after Infinity War, which is mind-boggling. I mean, this movie still made a ton of money, but it was Deadpool 2, follow-up to the original Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds, um, Marina Baccarin, I think is, is that, and then of course, you know, Thanos himself as Cable, Josh Brolin as Cable, and then, you know, you have a a cast of characters here, which is, I think are all, most of them are pretty good. But what did you think of, of Deadpool 2, maybe in relation to the first Deadpool movie, and then maybe also in relation to other superhero movies this year? You know, Ryan Reynolds' uh, Deadpool is one of the you know, things that brings me the most joy uh, in life. It's just, I think, a perfect example of someone doing exactly what they were put on this earth to do. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, think, I think he was put on this earth to be Pikachu. We can debate that later. <laughs> now you're going to wind me up and set me loose. Yeah. Um, I, I, I enjoyed Deadpool too. I love seeing Ryan Reynolds on screen. Uh, you know, he's, he's perfect for the part. You know, obviously there were a lot of fourth wall breaks and self-references in the first one, but I almost feel like this one were, uh, the rather the references in the second movie were even better. You know, I, I can like, I can rattle them off. I'm not going to, but like, you know, I just had a really fun time watching him like, be more liberal with his use of, like, referencing his and other universes, and, you know, like, dick jokes aside, like, you know, it's just, it's a funny movie, funny cast. Well, there's certainly a lot, or many fewer dick jokes in Deadpool 2 than Deadpool 1. You can lead into this if you want, but, you know, it seemed like this movie tried to do more than just be, you know, a slapping-your-knees funny movie. So, like, besides, like, the baby scene in the movie where... His, like, bottom half... I forget exactly how it plays out, but, like, the bottom half of his body is, like, an infant, right? Yeah. Besides, like, the weird, very extended scene that they go through with that and, like, really lean into baby penis jokes, which is a very strange thing at point in the movie. It made me a little uncomfortable when I was watching it. Like, this movie is, like, much more clever with its humor. And, I, and I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm the person who raised their hand and be like, look, I really enjoy the humor in Deadpool 1. I'm really glad they didn't do it for, like, a full second movie. But I really enjoyed it for what it's worth, and I don't think it wore out its welcome during that movie. And the fact that they pivoted away from that in the second movie and was a lot more a lot more self-referential in its humor and made a lot more clever jokes around pop culture rather than just making, you know, dick jokes. Uh, I, I think it was really, really clever humor. And granted, I don't think the plot is nearly as good. There's more holes. You kind of, like, roll your eyes a little bit at some of the points in the movie for sure. But that being said... I think the reason why people go to see Deadpool 2 is not because they want a really innovative and, and plot that moves you to, to tears or whatever it might be, uh, you know, crying. You mentioned crying at the end of Infinity War. I mean, you can say people didn't go for that either. But regardless, I think that what people go for is the humor and the fact that this, this movie improves on the humor element of it is really awesome to me. Sure thing, and... You know, I I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, and, you know, this is just my opinion. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, don't, you know, stab me in my sleep, but I, I do think I enjoyed the first movie more. Just, I mean, there was definitely, you know, the novelty factor to it. You know, mm -hmm. it had, like, just come out. It was done so well. Um, whereas, you know, I, I guess I kind of did go into the second movie expecting more of the first, and although the pivot was kind of welcomed, you know, going back to what you alluded to about, you know, kind of rolling your eyes at some parts of it and just questioning a lot of it, I I think I might prefer the first one to the second one. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I can understand why someone would prefer the first one to the second one. I don't know if... I don't know which I prefer over the other if that's the conversation we're having because I think they are quite different movies in terms of their... Not necessarily their themes, but just the way they go about telling their story. 
But that being said, I think if we're talking about Deadpool 2 here, it, it was it was a relief after all the tension of Infinity War for that. I mean, if we're going to go back to that conversation, right, how it was so closely placed after Infinity War. It was a it was a very different movie, and it was a relief that it was a very different movie. Because if you get, like, two more hours of Infinity War, two weeks, three weeks later, you're just like, whew, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I mean, we did get, you know, a Thanos reference, which was hilarious. Um we knew so, that reference was coming already because they showed like every, like half of the jokes in the trailer. So true, true. I'm just saying, yeah, no, it was it, it was good to get a little bit more of Infinity War in that form. Hey, and, I love the DC jokes in, in Deadpool too. Oh no, yeah, they were they were really funny. Are you Which, sure you're in the right universe? I know, right? I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Oh yeah, I met a I met another uh, super, and his mom's name was also Martha. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what so, have we done? Speaking of ongoing gags that we. We carry over outside the podcast. Martha? <laughs> Why did you say that name? Yeah, definitely going to have to edit that out in post. All it's right. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> leave it in. Uh, yeah, no, so Deadpool 2, I think that it was a refreshing breath of air, not only in term of, terms of it, it pivoting with its humor, but also just in terms of its entire makeup, right, after Infinity War. It lets you laugh a little bit more than uh, seeing Thanos throw his daughter off a cliff. So that was that, and you, and you get to see Josh Brolin do his superhero thing again. Well, anti-hero, I guess. Which, Villain, to whatever his you want to credit, call it. you know, two major, very different roles. I mean, you know, it's such a short time in the same genre. Are they that different? I mean, they're... Okay, we can draw plenty of, like, you know, flimsy parallels between the two. But to me, like, you know, I mean, they were different enough that it was like, I don't feel like I'm watching Thanos in this movie, which it might be kind of a low bar, but... All I'm saying is he played two fairly different characters pretty damn well, and, you know, I really did enjoy watching uh, him on screen, you know, not that long after Infinity War, just in this different role. Yeah, and we haven't talked about the X-Force scene yet, which is one of my favorites in the movie, as Jay almost slams his head on the table when I say that. I love that scene. I love Zazie Beetz being the only one surviving the (laughs) plane exit. It's a great scene, Jay, and clearly you don't agree with me. No, that that that's not it. Um, I I'm honestly just a huge Terry Crews fan, and you know it, it was really funny how it played out. But I I I was actually like hands to my cheeks, like jaw dropped when they killed him and like almost everyone else on X Force off. It was, I, I'll, I'll, I'll you know he's hesi- speechless. He's speechless. I'll, I'll hesitantly say well played, um, to the makers of this movie, but. That's about it. You know, like it, it was funny. It was well done, but oh man, I really wanted me some Terry Crews. Did you like the ending? To talk about the ending, do we have to go back to the beginning and talk about the whole fridging aspect of this movie? I mean, yeah, we can go for it. Just briefly. I know a lot of people had a huge problem with this. I don't I wouldn't say I had a huge problem with it. I did bring it up on the podcast. It was one of my one of my biggest complaints about the movie is that I think Marvel has generally done a good job of not creating scenarios where they fridge their main characters. Which, to the people who don't know what this means, it's basically it's basically where the death or assault or killing of a female character motivates a male character to do something uh, heroic or, or take vengeance on them. So it's the idea of, of violence against women being a motivating factor for men, which I have a huge problem with. It's, it's super lazy to do in movies because people are so much more complex than that. Um, and this movie really, really does it hard. <laughs> and I, and I, on the original, when we reviewed this movie back in April on the podcast, 
Um, so or May, sorry, May on the podcast. I had a huge problem with this, but go ahead. Because it sounds like you had a problem with it as well, or maybe less of a problem than other people did. No, I, I think I had probably a little bit more than other people. I think just it's something that I've, you know, kind of paid attention to, given how much I, given how much I love the genre and how many movies I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, within, you know. In the genre, yeah. In the genre, yeah. yeah only within the genre. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, that did feel kind of lazy. And I mean, maybe this is just me, but I thought the whole weird, like, transitioning to death and talking to Vanessa in this weird almost afterlife stage during parts of the movie was a little weird it, it ultimately like worked out okay for me but so like i guess to go to the end now which is you know the question that kind of led us to here mm-hmm. you know the fact that he goes back and like basically undoes all of that i, I don't know if that kind of works against the fridging it's like well like now she's alive but he's still going to be good or no it doesn't it, it doesn't go against the fridge oh, okay good so we're on the same page no, and no. like yeah it um obviously you know like the, the rest of the time traveling was hilarious i loved watching him go back and kill mutant x and, you know, even shoot young Ryan Reynolds for uh, drafting that Green Lantern sketch. Not just shoot, sketch. execute him. Execute him for the Green Lantern uh, script that he had just finished. Uh, you know, hilarious, you know, amazingly self-aware to some of his earlier projects. Um, yeah, I guess the ending worked out, you know. Yeah, I mean, I get it. People, it, they lean so, I mean, this was definitely in the movie, the point in the movie where it gets so absurd that you have to be like, all right, whatever. Yeah, I mean, and you knew it was going that direction. It's probably the weakest part of the movie. But that being said, I think they know it's it's really weak. They want like they want their characters to survive, and I understand that they do because this is the kind of movie that needs all their characters. I think like Miranda Background is like a good character in these two movies, and I'm glad that they brought her back. That being said, the fact that they had to bring her back to life from the dead by time traveling, etc., does not make it a a good element of the plot for that matter. The fact that they they've tied themselves into a corner at the end of the movie, that they have to do that is not a compliment to the movie. And I think that they recognize that and they just lean super hard into it at the end and, and do all these like ridiculous things that they knew was going to make people happier or laugh more in the, in the theater. So I appreciate that, but I'm not going to give it a pass, uh, because of, even though I did enjoy the, the very end of the movie. I still love you, Ryan Reynolds. You and Blake are my favorites. Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds, for what it's worth, in spite of Jay's slander, I think you're going to be a great Pikachu. All right, moving on past that to Jay's favorite marvel movie of the year don't let him tell you otherwise uh not spider-man into the spider-verse guys no venom you know guys uh scott's just bitter because he clearly doesn't see what i and 89 percent of rotten tomatoes or whatever it was really appreciated no. about this no, movie only only 27 percent of rotten tomatoes thought this was a good movie the Jay. critics i'm talking about the audience and i, I am in the 89 percent or whatever it is i that's in the audience score it's not the it's not rotten tomatoes i loved this movie scott i don't care that i got a 35 percent on metacritic and i don't care that i got a 27 percent on rotten tomatoes i loved this movie and i might be killing between this and the star wars thing i think i've just effectively killed all my credibility in the span of the last what half an hour but oh man i enjoyed this movie jay you know you know what i could i can live with you saying that you liked this movie because you know what i think there are elements that you can like about this movie i don't think this movie is a total bomb but when you say that you love this movie i'm just like how how do you love this movie jay Tell me. Tell us. You know, Tom Hardy is really funny, and they wrote Venom almost perfectly, I think. I think, you know, we, we can definitely have the debate about whether this movie should have been rated R and thus much more, you know. Oh, I, I, I can only imagine this movie would have been better if it was rated R. I, I think so, too. It couldn't have, I mean, it could have been worse. But to take it back here, 
This movie would have made less money if it was rated R. It also would have been a better movie if it was rated R. That that seems like a fair assessment. Yeah, you know, it's it, it kind of you know dances around the like grotesqueness, both like you know in the dialogue and also the you know head biting off. But you know, Venom like every time he like quote unquote opens his mouth, I'm I'm laughing to myself. I'm almost like a kid, you know. Like I I absolutely loved it. Like all of his banter with Eddie and you know it. Tom Hardy's character. Yes, thank you. Um, absolutely just loved it. I thought it was written, like, nearly flawless. Like, that's what I wanted from my Venom. And I got it, you know? So, it, it, yeah, I guess, you know, it appealed to this desire from, I don't know, let's go back to, like, Spider-Man 3, where we didn't quite get the Venom we deserved, and this just, you know, felt, like, closer to me. Man, if, if what you're graded on is Spider-Man 3, like, honestly... I'm not going to say Venom is better in Spider-Man 3, but, like, this is, like, barely, barely a, a, well, one that's not really a good marker to, like, measure anything by, and to me, I'm not sure how much better this is. I do agree that Venom probably is the best part of the movie, because Tom Hardy, like, phones this movie in so hard. He does nothing in this movie. Like, he is not good. Michelle Williams' character is god-awful. There's nothing she can do about that. Riz Ahmed is... Good, but again, one-dimensional villain. I just... There aren't too many things about this movie that get me excited. Besides, like, a couple scenes where Venom is in full flow fighting, you know, whether it's the SWAT team in the atrium of that building or or what it is, Jay. But I just don't see what you see, I think, with Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's character and also, you know, how it's written. I think there are moments where the writing's okay, but, like, mostly this movie's, like, super cringy. I feel like. You, you know, I, I think you're right, and, you know, I, I have, uh, outside of here, and I guess I'll say it here now, you know, like, have described this movie as, you know, so bad that it's good, which doesn't make any is the, sense. Is that the Venom you it deserve? Well, here's the thing. Because I mean, there's I, a so, good Venom out there. There has to be a good Venom out there they can make. Well, here's the thing. Like, you know, it, it's not that Spider-Man 3 is the bar. It's more that we got Venom in that movie, and I just, I didn't love it. And although, like, there are, again, like, Michelle Williams and Riz Ahmed, like, you know, I wish we could have gotten more out of, you know, like, writing those characters... Because I, I think they're both great actors, you know, it's just it, it came down to ultimately not liking, you know, the way characters were portrayed or the roles they were given. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I got a Venom that I really enjoyed. You know, and I I, th- I I don't, I don't think Tom Hardy was like outstanding in this movie. I think I've definitely liked him a lot more in other stuff. But I still thought, you know, given the Venom we had, I think he played well with him. And again, I, you know, the thing that really just brings it home for me is my beloved Parasite. I mean, that, that's fair. I mean, I also think that like... I mean, this movie made eight hundred million ish. I think global. I mean, like seventy five percent of it was global. Most of that was not made in the U S. So it clearly resonated with certain audiences, or at least there was a huge appetite in China, etc., for this parasite uh, that you you know accurately describe. And so that has spawned a sequel. Uh, and we know that based on the post credit scene, it's going to be Woody Harrelson's Carnage. And well, I think there's two elements to this. One is just like I'm not excited about this sequel, unless they do a lot of, you know, a much better job with how they do everything. But the fact that they made money off this movie does not give me any confidence that they will do anything better in the second movie. It doesn't give me any confidence that they're going to make it R and lean in to elements that would have made it better. And I don't think that a PG-13 Carnage or a PG and another PG-13 Venom is going to be something that gets me excited and like this is coming from someone who is pretty much here for like whatever superhero movie gets thrown at me at this point 
but like I'll go like I will probably go see this movie, but I'm like I'm not gonna go in optimistic like I went in optimistically about this movie because a cast like to your point a cast like Tom Hardy a cast like Mich- with Michelle Williams Riz Ahmed like these are all things that should like did get me really excited at the potential, but it just it didn't deliver on it at all for me and. I don't know if if you're excited about the sequel. I mean, I know that you. I mean, I would understand if you are based on how much you you loved this first movie. But to me, it's just like, look, they're making a sequel because they made a lot of money, but they're not going to create a better movie. I hope you're wrong. That's all I'll say because you're a little off base. I'll say like in that, yeah, I really did like this movie, but I'm actually not terribly excited about the sequel. And I mean, I know I was jokingly nitpicking. Uh, this morning when we spoke about whether or not I think Carnage is actually bonded to his host yet or not, uh, you know, based on those last couple of lines. But ultimately, I, I don't, yeah, I guess I wouldn't really want another movie exactly like this because now, you know, kind of like it was with Deadpool 1 and kind of like it was with Venom, like, you know, this current incarna- uh, car- incarnation, you know, the, the novelty is kind of gone for me. And I, I mean, I do hope we get a better movie. I... I hear your concerns on, you know, they might not change up the formula that much, given, you know, that this movie did make a bunch of money the way it was written, PG-13 and all. But I want to believe that, you know, given that we're getting Carnage and given what we got and kind of the response to it, you know, which in in my mind is pretty overwhelmingly like, please lean into the R. Like, hopefully they will do that when it comes time. 2020, I think. Is it really 2020? They're going to turn around that quickly? Wow. Well... I think that is what it is. It's not that I'm going to give it another chance if, if this movie does come out ultimately, but I'm not excited about it. I will go in cynical. But that's not to say that I couldn't be surprised by it. So we'll see. Well, we'll see. speaking of movies that I go into cynical and am ultimately surprised by, is that, is that a good segue to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, Jay, I remember that you, you took a while to see this movie. And I was telling you like crazy, like, you got to go see this movie. This is the best superhero movie since The Dark Knight. Maybe maybe even better than The Dark Knight. You're crazy if you don't if you aren't excited about this movie. And you were like, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm gonna go see it. I'll let you know what I think. And Jay, what did you think? You know, if you hadn't already alienated all of our DC fans, I think you just did by saying it was better than The Dark Knight. I said it might be better than The Dark Knight. <laughs> Sorry. I said it might be better than The Dark Knight. Okay. Yeah, hey, also, is- The Dark Knight, best movie from that year. Okay. Wait. I, I want to circle back. So this movie was released on what date? Because I don't think it was that late. First week in December. Okay, so I was maybe like three, four weeks late. Yeah. I you're there on opening night for some of these movies, Jay. Like, you're you're there for superhero movies. You're, you know, you're right. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't there for Aquaman, but I was there for, I think, pretty much I'm alienating DC fans. What are you doing? Oh, boy. No, you're, 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 that, that's a fair point. I think I was there for opening weekend of pretty much every movie except Aquaman and this one. Grant, it's the, you know, it's December, it's the holidays. It's a little bit harder when you you know you're traveling sure. back home and you have family to see. I, I get it. Of course, but yeah, I I went in. I I don't know. I had seen maybe like a TV spot or two. This movie kind of just snuck up on me, mm-hmm. and I wasn't terribly excited about the prospect of it. In that, I don't know. There was just something weird about we're getting an animated movie. It's a Spider-Man movie. I already love the Spider-Man content that we have out now. You know, recently with uh. Homecoming and Infinity War and we're getting far from home so soon and I was in all these weird spaces of like I think this is going to confuse people why are we putting this animated movie out oh my god I could not have been more like foolish Scott you you'd called me and we talked about this movie before and you told me what you said about that it was you said it was better than any MCU movie that's come out and that immediately I stand by it 
no, sure, and I, I'll agree with you now, but you got it. I went into the theater, and I was sitting there, like, you know, one leg over the other, arms crossed, just like, all right, let's see, and as the movie went on, I just, I found myself, like, just relaxing and laughing and smiling, and by the end, I walked out, and I was like, oh my god, I think he was right. Yeah, this is one of those movies where there's a point in the movie, it's different for different people, I think, but at some point in the movie, you have to have some sort of shit-eating grin on your face, because it's, oh, it's so good. So good, Scott. I, I can't believe, I'm actually, like, actively pushing people in my, like, immediate vicinity to see this movie. One by one, I'm hearing, like, oh, yeah, I, I heard this song from, like, the, the movie. Or, Sunflower? Oh, Is that everyone, everyone's heard Sunflower or whatever? A lot of people have heard What's Up Danger, too. Okay. Um, I had coffee with a guy earlier today who was like, oh, yeah, I heard that at, like, the party I was at last night, which, weird. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, like, slowly, you know, making its way into the people who, I guess, don't really follow this stuff as much, and I'm like, you have to go see this movie. It is so well done. It is hearty, and it is... I just felt really good. Like, not the whole... You know, it's not like a a consistently feel-good movie. There are, you know, like, ups and downs, and you feel like Miles' pain and Peter's pain and whatnot, but it it just... It ties together so well. It's so... It's self-referential, but also, like, not... You know, it's humor. Like, it it just does a little bit of everything, I think, and it's just... I don't know. I felt so good the entire time. Like, you know, once I kind of, like, let my guard down and really you know, started to enjoy it as the movie went on. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but the animation style. Jay, that's one of the things that you were most skeptical about. I remember us talking, on, on the, whether it was on the phone or via text or whatever it was, you were just like, I don't know if I'm going to like this animation style. It's, like, super blurry on the edges. It feels like it like, give me a headache or whatever it was. And, Jay, like, the animation style, I mean, whether or not it will ever work for another movie ever again. I mean, the comic book style, right, that's going to work for a lot of movies. But whether, like, the blurry edges that you see in this film... Of, of that style. If that's ever going to work for a movie again, I don't know. But it certainly worked for this movie. The animation is absolutely brilliant. I don't know I don't know if the verdict is in yet on whether Sony will be able to patent their animation style, but they struck gold with what they did with this movie. Agreed. And yeah, I uh, just to clarify, I wasn't sure I said like headaches were the problem, but I definitely was skeptical of it for one reason or another. I couldn't even tell you now. I've Because mm-hmm. you're not skeptical anymore. Oh, no, not clear. at all. Well, so, yes, uh, yeah. to clarify, loved it. Worked out so well. Sony really did strike gold here. And, you know, I... Uh... And their voice cast. I mean, we haven't even talked about that yet. But, you know, maybe people don't know who Shameik Moore is. But, like, the fact that you have Chris Pine briefly in this movie. You have Haley Steinfeld. You have Mahershala Ali. Brian Tyree Henry. And these are all actors who either had great years this year or who are already very well known. Shout out. And recognizable. And, yes, Nicolas Cage is also in this movie, which I don't know if you're about to say. Uh, right I was going to say shout out to my boy John Mulaney, but thanks. Okay, yeah. Shout out. Okay, shout out. <laughs> That's, this is funny, because people have complained a lot about that character. Like, that's actually most people's least favorite part of the movie. No, I, I know, and I'm still giving props to my boy John Mulaney. Yeah. And there's Zoe Kravitz, there's Liev Schreiber. I mean, this movie is just loaded with really talented people. You know, what, what, say what you will about maybe the trajectory of Nicolas Cage's career. I think he's still a pretty good actor on the whole. And maybe, maybe they'll, I'll get annihilated in the comments for that one. I don't know. We'll see. But I think that they know... These, you know, the producers on this, which is, you know, Lord and Miller, who are, and Avi Arad and Amy Pascal over at Marvel and Sony, um, and then you have your directors, they know exactly who Nicolas Cage is. They know exactly what people think of Nicolas Cage, and they do a damn good job about leaning into that and playing up the best parts of Nicolas Cage in this movie. Agreed, agreed. I, you know, I, I, I was, I went to see this movie with, like, a handful of family members who like once they heard his voice on screen they're like that's nick cage i'm like yeah but just watch like i think this is gonna be really good because by this point i was pretty sold on the movie like at least as you know a good movie Mm -hmm. um 
Hey, I don't even like Haley Steinfeld that much. I thought it was good. I thought she was good in that. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, just with with the movie that good and that exciting, I just, I, you know, it's it's one of those things right now. I'm like, oh, please, like, just give us something we, you know, will love and cherish as much as the first one. Indeed, Jay, it was my favorite. It was my favorite one of the year. It was maybe your favorite one of the year. I'm skeptical that you say it's your favorite of the year. I still think Venom might be your favorite of the year. Ha ha ha! No, I think. Uh... I think we're pretty aligned on a lot of our, you know, takes, and Spider-Verse is still my favorite movie of the year. Venom doesn't even crack my top three, but... Wait, okay, now you're... I feel like you're you're, you're taking heavy back steps here. You're saying what? Venom's not in your top three now? For superhero movies, no. We talked about this earlier. I loved Venom, but that doesn't mean I'm going to put it above Spider-Verse, Black Panther, or Infinity War. Okay, fair but, enough. But, you know, I might fight you on the other four, which, you know, I think is crazy to you. I think you said you put it at the bottom of your list, but yep. it's still in the top half of mine. It's okay. I forgive you for it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I think at that point, that's all the Marvel movies, Jay. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the one DCEU movie, the one other superhero movie that we haven't talked about yet that doesn't really fit into any franchise except the Disney uh, monster franchise, if you want to call it that. What are you talking about? That was Batman v Superman. He's shaking his head at me. The Incredibles 2 is a good Batman v Superman. Comment section. Come at me. We'll discuss all of that in the next part of the podcast. But first, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have that. And we'll also have a look forward to 2019 because apparently there are a lot more superhero movies coming. I thought they would have stopped after last year, but who knew? All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to today's episode of 2018 in Review, part three of our series. We've talked about all the Marvel movies now, and what's left is two more movies, Jay. One from the DCEU, one from, uh, I guess, the again, the wider Disney universe. Thanks to Pixar, we have The Incredibles 2. Why don't we start with the other kind of cinematic universe of superhero movies? We'll start with, with DC, and that's Aquaman, of course. Coming out late in the year, it's our first movie. It's the follow-up to... Uh, Justice League came out around, was it Christmas? Thanksgiving? Yeah, so around Thanksgiving. And, you know, it was seen as a relatively unsuccessful venture for DC. Kind of too many in a row to say and and, and really kind of reshaped the way people think over at DC with all the producers over there. And so we only got one movie this year, and that's Aquaman. Jay, what did you think of Aquaman? I had a lot of thoughts, Scott. Let's put it simply, it, it was an enjoyable movie. I think it was more enjoyable than a lot of films that DC that DC and Warner Brothers have put out in the past handful of years. Does that, does that seem like a fair place to start? Sure. I, so, I mean, if we're, if we're getting more on the nose here, I mean, you're talking it's more fun than Suicide Squad, more fun than Justice League, more fun than BVS. Is that what you're saying? Uh, fun in the sense that, you know, like, I'm going to go ahead and, like, laugh with the movie. Like, when I was watching BVS, you know... Uh, we definitely, you know, have differing opinions, but I, you know, loved seeing, like, Ben Affleck bring Batman to the screen. Like, you know, I wasn't yeah. laughing, per se, but I really enjoyed that. I would say Aquaman was, like, the first DC movie in a while that, like, you know, I I laughed. I Like, I just had, like, a, a good time. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to describe it. I think this movie tries to be a little bit more fun than the ones that came before it. It doesn't hit all the right notes, I don't think. I think that's fair to say. It isn't, my, it wasn't, definitely wasn't anywhere near my favorite superhero movie of the year comic book movie of the year and i think that you know ultimately i hope the next movie they make is better than this one i think that's fair to say but 
we'll see. I mean, we have Shazam coming up. If if it's any sort of indicator of what Shazam is going to be like, you're pro- most people would probably say that it's likely trending in the right direction. I know some people really like Justice League. Some people thought Justice League was a pretty big improvement over BVS and especially over Suicide Squad, which I think is true. Um, but maybe Aquaman is a more a step in that right direction. They're still fine-tuning it. They're still working out the kinks of whatever their formula is going to end up being because it's not there yet. But it is more fun. It, J- Jason Momoa brings a sincerity to the Aquaman character that maybe uh, no previous iteration has had. Amber Heard is is good enough, I'd say, as Mira, although I don't understand her bright, bright green suit and her dark red hair, or not dark red hair, but her, like, flaming red hair throughout most of the movie, it seems. It's just to, uh, I don't know, what's the right word, to hyper-sexualize her, her character, to, to say the least. Way to hit it on the nose, Scott. I mean, I mean, it, just be honest, call, call a spade a spade. Um, but I, that is whatever. Willem Dafoe is maybe a little bit underused. You may, maybe the Ocean Master story feels a little bit meh. To, I don't know how you feel about that, but we'll see. I, again, it's probably a trend in the right direction, but they're not there yet. Yeah. Uh, a lot, lot of points there. I, I'm just going to go ahead and t- touch the last one quickly. I think sure. as a you know fan of the comics and whatnot, like... The idea of in 2018 having a villain named Ocean Master felt really corny, but I thought they actually played that fairly well. The storyline itself, not super flushed out, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I I thought, again, like, all things considered, given that, you know, like, it's, I know it's 2018 is a fallacy, but, like, you know, given, like, where we are in, like, terms of, you know, how many superhero movies have come out, how tired some people are of the genre, and how inherently cheesy an Aquaman movie seems to be, you know, like, it's not that, you know, it completely strays away from that. I mean, I think... Uh, Jason Momoa's first lines that aren't narration are permission to come aboard and I, I just remember like putting my head down for a second like oh god it's gonna be like that um, yeah, I think all things considered like it just it does alright you know I think Aquaman itself just like brings those challenges like you know bringing you just like a whole like a whole bunch of cheese for lack of a better word uh, and like something that people really aren't gonna take too seriously between you know a guy who can talk to fish and Ocean Master like yeah. but you know, I, I really thought it did okay. And like you said, you know, they're fine-tuning their formula. They're trending in the right direction, it feels like, you know, after the last couple of movies. Like, I'm, I'm cautiously, very cautiously optimistic. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's right. A couple of things we haven't touched on yet is, you know, there's also the second villain in this movie, which might be the villain in the next movie as well, Black Manta. I think that that opening scene, which you kind of referenced, which made you put your head on, head on the floor a little bit maybe for a second, uh, you know, I guess that's a nice motivational premise to some parts later in the movie when you have him chasing him across Sicily, which, you know, I think is one of the more fun scenes in the movie. Do I think that they overuse slow motion? Yes. But ultimately, you know, that was one of the more fun parts. I really like the scene after that when they're swimming through the, is it the trench or whatever? Mm -hmm. I forget what exactly it's called. But, I mean, overall, one of the things, again, that we haven't touched on yet that is one of the highlights of the movie is is just the cinematography and the visual effects of shooting underwater, which is kind of what this film was supposed to be groundbreaking in. And it was. like Clearly, its numbers show that. It it just passed a billion dollars last weekend at the global box office. And yes, again, most of that's coming from international box offices like China. China was performed very strong in. But there's clearly an appetite to see this technology. There's clearly an appetite to go see Jason Momoa as this character and go see the universe that James Wan and the people over at DC built. Now the question is, can they take that goodwill that they got from you know making a billion dollars with Aquaman and start producing something that 
is a little bit better and that people also want to want to see. And right, Marvel has been able to find that balance. Maybe you could even argue they had that balance naturally. They just were really good at it from the start. Uh, of course, they did have some, in my opinion, they had some speed bumps early on with the Hulk and with Thor, but ultimately struck the right note when it mattered with Avengers. And that's not something that DC was able to do with Justice League. And so now the question is, can they strike that balance quickly enough? Can they grab people and get people committed to this universe is the question. And we'll see if that's Shazam. You know, we were talking off air earlier about how Shazam is not a movie that I'm particularly excited about. It doesn't seem to be what my expectation of a superhero movie that I'm going to enjoy. That being said, you know plenty of people that are really excited about Shazam. And so we'll see who, who it pleases. I mean, I'm one of those guys who's going to go see it either way. But if a lot of people are going to excited to go see Shazam and I'm still willing to go along with them, that's, I mean, that's the right formula. Or that, that, that's, that's the right direction. Definitely. And, you know, to take to one of your earlier points, I really hope they do use slow motion a lot less going forward. And I hope, I, I want to say it was eight times, though, that number. Oh, God, you counted. That's ever, never a good sign. So I think it was eight times where something dramatic was happening to, like, music at not a crazy speed that was either broken up then with the music stopping and a very corny one-liner or something getting blown up. Sounds right. Maybe they were consulting Michael Bay on, on the project. I'm that, not sure. That's exactly what I said when I went home and told my roommate about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, ultimately there are some really cool scenes. I, there's also, uh, we haven't mentioned Nicole Kidman, who plays uh, the, well, I guess a- Aquaman's uh, mother in the, in the movie, and, and she... I thought was, it's, well, one, my initial thought was, this is a strange movie for Nicole Kidman to be in. And then my second thought was that she was pretty good in it. And I also liked Aquaman's father as well, who I'm forgetting who played him, but, uh, is it, oh, Tamira Morrison, yeah. He portrayed Tom Curry. But yeah, I think that's all I've got to add for, for Aquaman. I don't know if you have anything else to, to close this out with. Just out of curiosity, were you pissed that they brought Queen Atlanta back? I was fine. The only problem I had was with the voiceover narration. I hate voiceover narration. And I didn't think it added anything to this movie. Yeah, I guess, you know, quote you from earlier, like, you know, everything that he narrated was clearly seen on screen. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, there there are some movies that where they manage to craft the voiceover in a way that is like, okay, well, at least I feel like I got something out of that. But this movie is not at all. It's really narrating what you're seeing on the screen. I'm like, did I need that? <laughs> like, the opening scene is showing, you know, the, you know, well, one, you have Nicole Kidman's character washing up on shore. You have... Um, Arthur Curry's dad finding her, taking her in, nursing her back to health, and you see a very quick sequence of them falling in love, having a kid, and all the while they're like, they fell in love, they had a kid, they came back for her one day. I'm like, yes, I can see on the screen exactly what's happening, thank you. I don't know, maybe they thought it'd be sweet. I mean, I will say, like, it was, I thought the ending itself was sweet with, you know, him being like, oh yeah, you know, my parents, like, fell in love, and their love saved the world, and I was like, okay, that's actually, like, it's tacky as hell hell but did i thought it was it, but, like and, and did it say i don't know if the world or not is that true if you want to again butterfly effect is a tricky thing scott and sure. it is not late enough at night for me to go into that but oh thank god the long story <laughs> short of it is you know i think he's saying they they're falling in love and having him basically let him become the hero that saved atlantis for so he's being narcissistic being like look without me this place would have been screwed well yeah but he's saying it more nicely by saying it was his parents's love Oh, God bless. Right? I love Jason Momoa. Full disclosure, like, I, I really did, you know, like his portrayal of the character. Like, not just because he created an Aquaman that, like, most people can finally take, like, somewhat seriously, but it was just, it was just fun. Hey, he talks to fish. <laughs> that was a funny scene in the movie towards the beginning, though, I will say. When they had the guys come up to him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, anyway, last movie, Incredibles 2 on the docket. Jay, this is all the way back in the summer, back at a, a June release. 
you know, my initial thoughts, just to dive quickly into it before I hand it over to you, was that this was not as good as the original Incredibles, but still, it hits some nice notes. Short, sweet, to the point. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think I might have said this earlier, but uh, a handful of people referred to it as the movie that Batman vs. Superman could and should have been, which I know you won't agree with, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but I definitely think it tried to hit some of those themes about, you know, accepting a world Parenthood? of heroes and responsibilities. No, 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 just the, uh, the, the you know, the grander stuff that was happening. Martha. Um, <laughs> the things that, you know, Elastigirl was kind of trying to deal with. I did enjoy the movie. Like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the first one. But, you know, Screen Slaver was like a, was a pretty good villain. I wasn't terribly surprised by any of it. But even, you know, Screen Slaver's like first monologue about, you know, like, you know, you don't talk. You go, you watch talk shows. You don't do this. You do this. You know, like everything just... I felt like she was calling me out. I was like, oh, man, like, yeah, we do do that. That's bad. It's true. I, you know, still the highlight for me is, I mean, I think this is the, actually, to back up a second, I think The Incredibles is one of those rare animated movies where just about, like, there's only, like, two voices that I recognize in the movie. And I feel like it's, at this point in animated movies, I'm recognizing most of the voices that I hear. And that is Holly Hunter. Of course. Who plays Elastigirl. And then Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Frozone. And, like, I know who... Bob Parr is like I know that voice, but I don't know who that actor is. I know, I mean I know it's Craig T. Nelson because I like go and look it up afterwards, but I don't have like an association with that voice besides being Mr. Incredible. And I think that's cool. That's like a rare experience these days. It's very rare that I walk into a movie and like these characters are these characters. These aren't the I don't see the actors or I don't hear the actors behind them. Like even with you know Isle of Dogs earlier this year, which I know you didn't see, stop motion animated movie, Wes Anderson directed, has this ridiculous voice cast. And, like, it's awesome because you have so many ridiculously talented people in this movie. Like, you've managed to get all these people into this movie. That being said, like, it's a little bit jarring to be like, that's Bill Murray. That's Brian Cranston. That, like, that's Ed Norton. Like, I know who all the voices are. And so, at that point, it's not, I'm not as immersed in that. And to get to the Incredibles credit, I don't, like, have a connection with, you know, Violet and, you know, I don't have a connection with Bob Parr outside of the Incredibles. Like, what about Jack-Jack? Well, I definitely don't have a Jack Shack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, like, I think this goes on the list. And, like, you know, Edna Mode will always be Edna Mode. I mean, I know it's Brad Bird, right? So it's like he doesn't voice act or anything else anyway. But, like, it's Edna. And you'll never think of that otherwise, I think. And I think that's cool because I don't feel, I don't, personally, I don't feel that very much when I go see movies anymore. I, I, yeah, I don't think, you know, I'm quite at the same point as you. I think, you know, I, to go back to the last animated movie I saw it was, like, Spider-Verse, and I felt like I actually recognized a lot of that cast, yeah. you know, being much more star-studded. Like and, Mahershala Ali, like, you're going to recognize that of voice. Course. Like, Lee Schreiber, like, very recognizable voice. Yep, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I, def- I think I definitely, like, feel you, though, in what you're saying about The Incredibles too, and just, yeah, kind of being a little more immersed in it, being like, yeah, that's just who these people are for the most part. I think, yeah, Holly Hunter was kind of hard for me to separate out, but, like, yeah, that's just because you know, it's Holly Hunter. I mean, you know, at least she wasn't saying today is a day for truth. Uh, but Rip. we're we're okay. She uh, another Batman vs Superman reference for those out there. Yeah, sorry, I'll never stop. Um, but you can't piss in a jar and call it Grandma's sweet tea or whatever the line is. I, I think that's exactly the line. Well yeah. done, Scott. How many times have you seen the Snyder cut of that film? That's not in the Snyder cut, man. I think that's in the normal cut. Okay. Well, I mean, I thought it was in both. Whatever. Um, oh, yeah. No, I meant, like, it's not exclusive to the Snyder cut. Oh, but sure. I take but your I, point. I just wanted the viewers to know that, you know, you're a big fan of the Snyder cut. I don't think any of our listeners at this point don't know that I'm not a fan. Also true. I also called them viewers. That was silly. Anyway, um, final thoughts on Incredibles 2? Yeah, I mean, like, it's not my favorite Pixar. This is, like, The Incredibles 2 
is not the kind of movie I want Pixar to make. Like, just being honest, like I think it's cool. I think that it's a it's still a good movie, and the and the first Incredibles, fantastic film, probably one of the better movies, uh, but better one of the best animated movies um, of all time. And, and granted, most of the ones on that list are from Pixar, like they're a great studio. But I want them making something per, just on a personal level. Like I would rather them make something like, like Coco, like Inside Out, like Zootopia. Like those are movies that like no one else is making. And you know, yes, there is something different about an animated superhero movie that's not coming from like the dc animated universe or i mean to the lesser extent the marvel animated universe right like spider spider verse included obviously spider verse incredible movie i already talked about how it's my favorite one but i just much rather would watch uh something that's a little bit different in terms of creativity coming from that studio because it's just so talented um so ultimately i think that incredibles 2 falters in that it's not one of the best movies from an incredible studio uh, an, an incredible animation studio. And, you know, that's not its own fault, but it, it still is. It still is what it is. Seems fair. Um, all right. Yeah, so that's that'll do it for wrapping up all the animated... Well, <laughs> animated movies. <laughs> we covered two of them. We didn't even cover all of them. Uh, all the superhero movies, all the major superhero releases from last year. Jay, we have a few, more than a few, coming up next year. We were talking off-air that there's even more next year than there were this year. And why don't we just start with the MCU, you know, just in a month and a half's time, we have Captain Marvel. A month and a half after that, we have Endgame. And then two months after that, we have Far From Home. It's going to be pretty quick succession and then an, an empty back up of the year from the MCU. But what's getting you excited about that lineup? What isn't getting me excited about that lineup, Scott? Exactly, we have exactly. A, we have a movie starring Brie Larson where she got strong enough to push a Jeep uphill as part of her training. Is that real? Is that a real thing? That's a real thing. Holy crap. Um... In addition to, you know, a young Nick Fury uh, and a young, <laughs> young Ronan. Um, you know, and then we have Endgame, which, you know, I've watched that trailer, like, probably 12 times by now. And each time, my heart, like, flips. Um, and then Far From Home, you know, whose trailer dropped just last week. Like, again, really excited to see Tom Holland reply, uh, reprise the role, whether it's, you know, in some post-Endgame uh, world where everything's been fixed or whether it's some weird twisted conspiracy movie that, you know, takes place in two different times before and after the snap. I mean, who knows? I just want to see more Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Well, I think you're going to get that. You're going to get at least two hours of it. I mean, I'm excited about Jake Gyllenhaal in that movie. I, I'm so happy that he's finally getting into one of these universes. He's probably one of the... I, I don't think this is a hot take, but I think he's one of the most talented actors that we have right now. You know, ranging from something like Nightcrawler to Zodiac a decade ago. I mean, the guy can do it all. He showed immense range, and I'm excited to see what he has in store for that movie. You know, he's playing Mysterio, which, you know, if you follow comic book lore, that's that's he's a villain, right? Obviously, this trailer is showing him maybe as more of a hero's side of things. But you know, for those of us to you talk, referring to you, people like you who are more educated in, in the backstory, know that that's that actually is part of his character. About, creating situations where he can save the day but that doesn't necessarily make him a hero so i'm excited to see what he has in store i'm hoping that he's i'm hoping that he's more than one movie i'm hoping he can come up in in future movies because jake Hall is such a such a rare talent in the film world in my opinion two words scott sinister six yeah i know i know that that's a lot of spider-man villains they're gonna have to really lean into those spider-man movies well we'll see i mean you know one can hope 
they're, they're off to a great start with this, you know, current version of the character, so... It's true, he's got a lot of years ahead of him. He, exactly, yeah, he'll, he'll be around for a while. Yeah, speaking speaking of people who may or may not have years ahead of them, we haven't really talked much about Endgame, and, you know, that is going to be where we find out who does, in fact, have years ahead of them in the MCU. Jay, any, any predictions? Oh, God, predictions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like in my mind, like, Cap... I don't, I don't even know. Like, I, I, it's like, how wonky are we trying to get with these theories that, you know, how quantum, the quantum realm and time travel. Don't whether, talk to me. I'm going to get upset. If exactly. So, quantum. you know, it, depending on like, you know, how much of the science we're assuming is going to get wonky. Is he going to get left in some weird alternate dimension in, pa- in the past with Peggy Carter? Or All right. You know gonna, what? Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to narrow the scope here. I don't even know what go. you're talking about. This <laughs> there is we insane. Go. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. What is going to, who's going to be the biggest loss that we get in the MCU? Is it gonna be Tony? Is it gonna be Cap? Neither, well, neither of them. I, I think Cap leaves the MCU after this movie. I think. I don't. I mean, I don't. So you I, think Tony stays? I, I don't think. Well, that's another thing. I don't think Tony stays per se. Like, I don't think we're expecting an Iron Man four anytime soon. I don't even think I expect him to like star in an Avengers film anytime soon. But I think he survives. He's gonna retire. And retires. Like actually retires. Hopefully. Can Tony Stark know, retire? Is that a thing he's allowed to do? I. It's unclear. Um, Pepper's gonna divorce him anyway, so. Uh, and then what? He'll uh, be sucked into a vortex and talk to a young insert replacement for Miles Morales and save a different dimension. I don't know. That's wild, dude. You're going off the you're going off the rails there. I'm just recreating Spider Verse here. I know what you're doing. You're just no. going off the rails. I have no idea what's going to happen. I feel like I might be completely off base here, but yeah. I think you know Cap Cap is done, and I think Tony hangs it up. I, I might be completely wrong. So who headlines the next era of the MCU? Is this, is it Spider-Man? Is it Black Panther? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure. Like who who does lead? Who's Avengers? on the Who's in the middle of the next cover for Avengers for an Avengers movie? Is is Thor still around? You tell me. Yeah, it can be Thor. I mean, I I think I'd like that, but. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Just yeah. See, there's just there's just too much going on. I have no idea who's the center of the puzzle. Let's go with that. I All right. I don't have a take. Fair enough. Okay, man. Moving on. Uh, X Men. We only got to see a tangential entry in the X Men universe with Deadpool two. But this year, we were supposed to get them last year. But this year, we are in fact, unless it gets pushed back again, getting X Men Dark Phoenix and the New Mutants, as well as maybe a Gambit movie. Maybe. Maybe. That's a lot. That's a lot, Jay. Are you excited about any of these? All of them? What? How are you feeling? I think Dark Phoenix has a lot of potential. I don't know, like. I actually haven't read too much about the New Mutants or Gambit, especially after Gambit was pushed back so many times. I feel like it's just kind of fallen off my radar a little bit. Okay, what if I tell you Anya Taylor Joy? Do you know who that is? Can you, can you give me a what? What are they? What is she on? Uh, well, okay, yeah. I mean, she got so her breakout movie was. Uh, is it like the the witch? It was a horror movie from a few uh-huh. years ago, yeah, 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 yeah. and she was the lead actress in Split yep. with James McAvoy. Yep, yep, yep. She was the victim. Right. That movie. Okay. She was also in Thoroughbreds earlier this year. Okay. Couldn't speak to that. Also, Macy Williams, Game of Thrones. Okay. They are both leading actresses in New Mutants. Great. Are you more excited about that now? More excited about that now. Okay. It's supposed to be a horror movie, by the way. It's supposed to be yeah, a horror yeah. take on... Wow. Did, did you see the... They, I think they released a teaser for it last year before they pushed it back. Yeah. Like a while back, right? Yeah, yeah, Again, yeah. yeah it's... It, that and Gambit just kind of fell off my radar with everything that's I happening. I just have no, I've heard nothing about Gambit. That's the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. 
So I like you. T- you said you mentioned that it was coming out this year off air. Earlier, there, there I was, was like, what? There, there was an article posted not that long ago. It said it could still happen, which again I didn't even know they like shot it. I, I honestly. Well, yeah, it had to be shot by now if it was coming out this year. You'd think, right? I honestly have no idea what's happening. Uh, you know, the the X Men universe is kind of falling off my radar a little bit, but. Well, yeah. I think Dark Phoenix will definitely bring it back this year. I think Apocalypse was a little bit of a dud a few years back, which was a shame because Days of Future Past. Maybe one, maybe the best X Men movie at the time. You can argue maybe Logan is the best one now. Again, not the purpose of this podcast to debate that. But Dark Phoenix, I'm I'm hoping that they can find that magic again that they found, to, in my opinion, in First Class and in Days of Future Past. Right? I enjoyed parts of Apocalypse, but definitely not all of it. And, but I think that you know it's Sophie Turner's turn to really take the center stage. Jennifer Lawrence will be back as Mystique. Obviously, you have James McAvoy as Professor X. I'm not sure if Fassbender, what role Fassbender will play as um, Magneto, but we'll see. We'll see. It's something that I'm excited about, uh, the new kind of alternate timeline of X-Men that they created post-Last uh, Stand, uh, with starting with First Class, is something that I've really vibed with. I've really enjoyed it, most of it. And so you know, I'm willing to give it a pass on Apocalypse for being, Apocalypse being, you know, at least a little, at least somewhat mediocre, to hopefully they can recreate that with Dark Phoenix. Hopefully. I mean, rein me back in. You know, I, I, I live for this stuff, so the more good content we have, the better. Absolutely. All right, and finishing up here for next year, not too many movies in this universe on the horizon. Right now we can only think of one. That's, of course, the DCEU. Shazam, coming out in April, so we're getting it really soon, and then we're going to have kind of an empty uh, back half of the year from DC for the best part of our because Wonder Woman is not, 1984 is not coming out until the summer of next year. But are you excited about Shazam? I kind of already told our listeners that it's not the kind of movie that I'm necessarily, you know, going to be running to the theater to catch, but I will see it. I, I think I'm in the same boat. I think I'm a little more excited than you are. Yeah. Um, you know, excited to see, just kind of see his character brought to the big screen. And I, I will say, like, a big part of me was more excited for the world-building aspect of this whole thing, which, you know, recent reports suggest, like, Warner Brothers isn't super keen on that anymore and are trying to take, like, a one-movie-at-a-time approach to the whole thing. So, you know, maybe we're not getting our, like, uh, Superman cameo in this movie. I mean, we're almost certainly not, based on earlier reports. But, you know, who knows? Uh, I, you know, I liked what I saw in the first trailer. It's it's the kind of thing where I almost feel like I'm trying to sell people on another Shazam, where it's like his name is... Or another Aquaman, excuse me, because they're like, you know, his name is Shazam. And it's like, you know, like... Just show up, watch the trailer. Like you might actually find it kind of interesting, and I think, I think you know people have. I, I think it'll actually do okay. Um, I, I hope it ends up being a good movie. Still haven't seen anything, you know, any footage of like the villain and whatnot. I'm really excited about that. Do we even know who's gonna be the villain? Like, do we know who's like cast? No, it's Mark Strong. He's playing Doctor Thaddeus Savannah. Oh, okay. See, uh, I had no idea. I, I definitely know like The Rock was pushing for stuff like that. I mean, but. I guess actors, like, do this stuff all the time. If we were going to... I thought that was a separate thing. I thought he was pulling for a Black Adam movie that was separate from Shazam. Oh. Could be. I don't know if that's happening. Like like you mentioned earlier, every kind of, kind of everything in the DCE right now is in flux. Because... And I think this is the right approach, right? They're taking one movie at a time. You know, if they release one movie a year and they trend... And they keep trending in the right direction, that's what they need to do right now. They need to establish trust with their viewers again um, and get people... Instead of sitting on the couch waiting for the Rotten Tomato score to come out to figure out whether or not they should go see the movie, like seriously, like seriously here, like they need to establish trust. Like, look, I'm going to pre-order tickets to this movie. You know, I'm going to trust that it's going to be good. I don't need to wait to see the Rotten Tomato score because I mean that's the point we're at right now. Like, Aquaman needed to have a good Rotten Tomato score 
people to go see it. And it, I mean, I actually will say that being said, the fact that it performed so well in China, I think also really got people like, oh, like it made like $300 million in China before it even came out in the U.S. So it's, that that's a big deal, right? But like, I think a lot of people, like with Justice League, for example, like, you know what? I didn't, I like, I, I know either because I saw it or because I heard that BVS wasn't very good and I heard or saw that Suicide Squad wasn't very good. You know, I'm not going to go out and see this opening week. I'm going to see what my friends say. I'm going to see what Rotten Tomatoes says. And they just, DC needs to get out of that zone because they can't afford to be putting out three movies a year where people are sitting on their couch waiting to see what the Rotten Tomatoes score is. Fair enough. I mean, you know, you know me. I love my DC content. I hope that, you know, they can kind of bring people back to that. I'll almost always be there opening weekend. I wasn't with Aquaman for whatever. Again, I'm going to chalk that up to the holiday season and whatnot. But, you know, I will be out there opening weekend at Shazam and every movie after. So we'll, you know, I hope I won't be the only one. Yeah, no, I don't think you will be. There'll still always be that loyal DC base, even if we all, even if that entire base wants the movies to be better than they actually are. Right, like that. There's still gonna be some some core fan group there. So I don't I don't think you're alone in that sense. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, that was a low bar. I, I want everyone to go to this these movies. There you go. All right. Well, Jay, I think that should just about do it for part three of our 2018 year in review series. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? You know, let's just uh, bide our time. See what happens with Captain Marvel. See what happens with Endgame. And you know, hopefully. Uh, whether it's on or off mic, we'll have a chance to talk about those soon because we have some really exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone, you can find our podcast on Twitter at, at @mediaplugpods. We'd love it if we followed you there, and we'd love it even more if you checked us out over on our podcast Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com/mediaplugpods. There are a bunch of different reward tiers over there, depending on how much you're willing to pledge to the podcast, and we'd really appreciate it if you checked it out. And even if you just contributed the one dollar level, that would really help us out. A lot. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods, and you can check it out for yourself. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts. And another change for 2019, keep hitting this home on Podbean. That's www.podbean.com slash mediaplugpods. We're off of SoundCloud onto Podbean, so check us out over there. And we'd also appreciate if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that normal stuff. Again, you can still find it on iTunes, but if you want to go directly to the source, that's at Podbean now. I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll also be back with another episode of Some Like It's Got soon. Listen to the mainline episode that's coming out, episode 30, to know what movies we're talking about then. But until then, I'm Scott Shelton for Jay Habib. Bye, everybody.